0: Hello and welcome. I'm Luke Burridge and this is the show called Luke's Creative Podcast. In it, I talk to lots of people who are generally creative um, in lots of different ways about why they are creative and how they're creative and all different things creative-wise. If you want to know more about this uh, whole podcast project, please go check out episode one of season one. I explain everything in a lot more depth. Now, in that opening episode, I did say that one of the main focuses of this podcast series um, would be people who, like me, are creative in more than one field. So they're not just, say, a photographer, but they're a photographer and a writer and a this and a that, or they're not just a musician, or they're not just a juggler, they do different things. And uh, and it's been really good, but I mean, I sort of got away from that a bit, but I think this interview, this discussion, this chat that I have um, in today's episode with Greg Marguerite really... Um, sort of epitomizes the uh, two people who are generally creative in lots of different fields, talking to each other and discovering each other's different outlooks on on why they are uh, happy to be creative in lots of different fields. I don't want to get too much into it now, but you'll understand uh, why this is one of my favorite conversations that I had, uh, mainly because it challenged me in ways that other people haven't challenged me. Because Greg, like I say, he's like me. He does loads and loads of different things in loads of different fields, but he's been doing it way longer than I have. So he has different things clear in his mind that I hadn't really thought about in the same way before so like I say it was really uh, it was it was a fun challenge for me um so I actually stand off this episode with some music because Greg um, worked as a professional musician for a long time so I thought I'd include some of his music that he sent me which I really liked and then we get on to talking about making glass sculptures and writing and all these different things that we, that we get into I don't want to spoil it too much but there's a lot of stuff that we talk about here in this episode if you're enjoying this series please email me luke at juggler.net is the best way to get hold of me via email you can also follow me on twitter and finally you, the best way to keep track of all the creative stuff that I'm doing is go to my blog um, I actually haven't been updated it too much I've been lo- doing loads of creative stuff recently but it's not all been finding its way to my blog I should I need to post quite a few photos and a few videos up there um, soon uh, but it's going you know it's being updated slowly but check it out lukeburg.com forward slash blog and and check out the links for this episode at luburg.com forward slash creative uh, and to see Greg Marguerite at work so um yeah that's about it thanks a lot for listening, and uh, let's just get on with some music, and then on to today's discussion with Greg Marguerite.
1: Well, when I got home from uh, work last night, you know, I headed straight for my stash because I wanted some of my private blend, which is two parts grass to one part hand Well, when I got to my secret little um, hiding place and I checked out my little plastic bag, you know, there wasn't a speck of that nice leaf left. And I felt my whole spirit sigh, because I've twigs and seeds, twigs and seeds. It sure don't deliver the punch that this old head needs So I phoned up my old connection And I said, uh, uh, look, Richard, this is an emergency, man You know, I'm fresh out of that weed that's so near and dear to my heart And he said, "Uh, uh, listen, Greg, you know, I'd like to, um, help you, man I'm in business to supply you with the weed, you know But the man just busted a whole huge ship of mine And now everybody in town smoking twigs and seeds the Twigs and seeds the Twigs and seeds They sure don't deliver the punch of this old head please the Twigs and seeds twigs and seeds they sure don't deliver the bunch of this old head knees We well, you got your morning glory seeds and your nutmeg your lsd and your model airplane blue peyote buttons beth a dream a dream dream someone said banana peels will do well, let us say The use of these various hallucinogens Was, um, somehow no longer a legal misdeed But well, I still think there ought to be Some sort of law about possession Of nothing but twigs and seeds Cause, they're twigs and seeds Twigs and seeds That sure don't deliver the this old head me and seeds twigs and seeds that sure don't deliver the punch at this old head
0: yeah! <laughs> Talking to me now live over Skype is Greg Marguerite Say hi, Greg.
2: Hello, everyone.
0: Uh, so, Greg, just a little bit of an introduction for you. I know you from uh, doing podcast recordings on a on a website or for a podcast for a website called SFF Audio, and we talk about nerdy science fiction topics, and we talk about writing and reading and you know literature and all that kind of stuff. So, it's been great to get to know you through there. But really, I wanted you on this podcast to talk about um, different creative endeavors because you seem to be creative in different ways. Um, and so, why not just tell, introduce yourself a bit and, and say people where you're coming from and And uh, and what kind of things you get up to?
2: Okay, Um, well, I sort of see uh, everything. I really only do one thing, even though it manifests itself in a variety of ways. Um, For many years, well, my first uh, passion was music, probably, starting around age five. And I have a recording studio and a whole bunch of instruments here and, uh, you know, a lot of background. I was on the road for eight or ten years Wrote a lot of songs, made a couple albums, all that sort of stuff. Um, and and uh, also uh, wrote a lot of fiction uh, of, a, of a lot of different varieties. And then I got into uh, making glass sculptures and helped a friend of mine out here. Uh, I'm on the west coast of the United States. And if you know anything about glass art, the capital of glass art is Seattle right now, in the U.S. anyway. And so we moved out here to build a studio. It took us about five years because uh, you can't buy the, you know, you don't go buy a furnace. Yeah, Greg, um, you, 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 just,
0: furnace. you just said if you know anything about glass, you know it's in Seattle. thing is, I don't know anything about glass. And I guess nobody else listening to this podcast really knows anything about glass. So why don't you just explain what you mean by making glass and glass sculptures and things like that. Not too nerdy, not too technical, but just an overview of of what kind of things you do and why you need a studio for it.
2: Okay. There's, um, there's two, there's basically two shapes you can work with, with glass. You, you get it up to, uh, about 2,400 degrees and then you can put it on the end of a hollow pipe and blow a bubble into it. And then you could pierce that bubble if you want and spin it. And it, and it exists in all the various degrees all the way down to a plate. So it could be a vessel or a plate,
0: but it's generally a rounded kind of thing, you mean?
2: Well, no, you can build tools for yourself that can make it any shape you want. Um, you can you can do a lot with it, but I'm primarily more interested in in uh, casting. Uh, and so the idea is that we're trying to have three-dimensional canvases. So what happens is we take a mixture of crushed volcanic rock and a few other things, clay and that sort of stuff. You you have to fool around with the mixture because the more clay you have, the smoother the glass will be, but the more heat you have to vent out of it. Um, and so you play this game and you come up with a mixture and a shape and you uh, put this shape in, you know, you cast this shape into, into this crushed volcanic rock. And then you can take, uh, you know, color, which is a bunch of different chemicals. You know, cobalt is blue. It, most of it's chemotherapy, basically. And you make your drawings inside. You can do it with stencils or you can do it with, you know, uh, uh, certain types of brushes and all this sort of stuff. And then on a separate table called a Marver, it's just a big thick metal table, um, you draw other pictures and you surround them with little pieces of steel. And so what you can do is you pour the bottom and then you go and pour glass in the, the, the drawing on the steel table. And you can pick that up and put it in on top of the first layer of glass. And you can keep doing that until you end up with a three-dimensional canvas so that you have you know, interlocking images all in front of one another, all stacked up.
0: And yet you can, you can shine a light through the back of it and it all comes to life. Is that the idea?
2: Um, no, we, we light them from the front mostly. You can shine a light from the back, and we have done stuff like that. Um, but it's more um, you know, to look at as you would look at a canvas, except it's it's three or four canvases on top of one another, and you can see between them, and they the images all interlock.
0: I know I've looked for your kind of stuff here, but you don't have any pictures of your own stuff. But if someone wants to search for this on, like, say, on Google and bring up images of this kind of work, what would you search for for that?
2: The, the lifelong friend of mine who would be the front man for this operation's name is Henner Schroeder. Um, and so you could search on that. We have a website at vitroglyph.com. Um, V-I-T-R-O-G-L-Y-P-H and you can see pictures of me and him and all the different things we make and, you know, w- w- there's a wide variety of things that we do. We do blow um, and we do uh, we cast architectural glass tiles that get assembled into walls for buildings and all that sort of thing. Um, but uh, the way it works is it, it costs um probably about 1200 bucks a day to run the shop in oxygen and propane and people and all that sort of stuff so you pay for the next firing
0: so it really has to pay for itself otherwise it's a a bit too much of an expensive fire up in a
2: couple of years but (laughs) um but you know we're getting there and so um we had a couple of years ago we had some interest from um sort of like reality show documentarian type people and so when we fired up last time we we shot a ton of high-def video and so in the past couple years i've we put together a video suite and we've been making little short movies of the stuff that we're doing and sending it off and talking to those guys and seeing how they want to do anything. But, you know, nothing happens till it happens.
0: So how many of you have to work on a process like this? Is it, 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 It's not the kind of thing that you could just do once or like with one person?
2: You, you have differing numbers of people. Like, for example, the, the biggest thing that we make is, is more of a... It's like performance art more than it is, you know, making the art because so many people come to watch us do it. Um, but we make a bunch of small geometric shapes And then bring them over to a second team, which my friend Henner Schroeder is in charge of, and he then assembles them into a kind of uh, frozen moment of time. So let's say we made a bunch of cubes. Um, He might make it look as if you'd poured those cubes out of a, uh, you know, ice cubes out of a bucket and and took a picture of them and caught them in midair. And that takes, um, let's see about that takes at least nine people wow. two teams yeah um and we have what we call art slaves um and these are kids who uh are you know getting their graduate degrees and part of that is they have to come and work in a real situation and so all the art schools put up our ads for when we fire up and they apply and we pick them and And so then we have these helpers around when we're hot. But we have to put them somewhere and feed them and all that sort of stuff. So it's actually a pretty complicated process.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a major operation that you get going there. So how did you actually get into doing that kind of stuff? I mean, why did you suddenly go, oh, what I'm going to (laughs) do is uh, do massive glass art installation performance pieces, which takes, like, running a small village to get sorted? Well, if
2: you want to go back far enough, you, you know, on the boardwalk in new jersey there you know uh, there were these guys who used pyrex you know scientific glass and made horses and stuff like that and it caught my attention but the real reason is there was this girl see and uh (laughs) and she did glass and uh and the next thing i know i'm doing it too and now
0: you're married or not no 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 no
2: now, I know where she is, but I haven't talked to her for a good 15 years.
0: I guess this kind of glasswork you probably know where most people are who do it because it's, uh, it doesn't look like a big field in a way.
2: It didn't used to exist at all. Um, there's a guy named Dale Chihuly who has a, a huge glass operation here called the Boathouse. It's, it's on one of the lakes in Seattle. And he's largely responsible for turning it from craft into art so that people... Would you know art? The art world would take it seriously. Up until then, they they saw it as you know something to make drinking glasses and plates and stuff like that, and not really a media that would work for what they defined of as art.
0: What that would stand on its own in a gallery, I guess.
2: Yeah, and have you ever been to Vegas? Do you go? go I've never been to uh, Vegas. No. Okay. Well, there's a a casino there called the Bellagio, and the ceiling of the opening. You know, the main entrance is, has a huge Chihuly piece in it. But he does a lot of different things. You can look him up. He's, he's pretty much the number one man, except for... See, essentially, there's an island off the coast of Venice called Murano. And that's where glass art really took on its over, as it were. So there are Italian masters. And Dale brought a bunch of those Italian masters, the Marionis, over here and started glass schools called Pilchuck and all that sort of stuff and um that allowed him to manipulate the art world into believing that glass was art regardless of what you think of him or his work or him as a person or whatever um you know the rising tide lifts all boats and he uh, succeeded yeah he succeeded and he's one of the major luminaries another one's called billy morris and there's a Bertil Valens and guys like that, and or the Italian masters themselves, who are just astonishing to watch them work. I mean, you know, they, I saw them in a class at one point, I don't know, probably about 20 years ago, and one of the Marioni brothers was teaching this class, and he told the kids to come in and pick things. They were going to do, you know, hot assembly in other words you make a bunch of little pieces on the fly and then stick them together like glue and all this sort of thing you can put the, the glue up, is two thousand yeah, degrees <laughs> about 2300 degrees yeah at that point point. and so the kids came in the next day and one of them had a copy of gray's anatomy and he was looking at the bones of the hand and you know this guy just whipped out you know <laughs> the bones of the hand and assembled them and so it's amazing what he could do. in other yeah, had Yeah, it's
0: when people make it effortless like that that you know they're really the master. When sort of uh, you know the martial arts movie where they attack and the guy defeats yeah. him with a, his thumb or his little finger, and you're like, wow, that is real mastery of a of a craft or art. There.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, that's that's one of the things I do is is help my friend Henry Schroeder there. And-
0: yeah, one thing that always amazes me about this kind of stuff though is that when you get. You're talking about all these names of these big stars in this field, and it always amazes me that it doesn't matter what craft there is or what hobby there is or whatever movement there is or anything like that there's always a subculture out there. Like you're talking to me about there's a glass subculture that I have never, yeah. I, I mean, I, I do actually know because I've, I've looked at this website before that you mentioned before, this vitroglyph. I didn't realize this was uh, your website that, and, and your project um, uh, oh. because because you, well, you're named on there, but it's mainly the, the, the one guy, isn't it? This, uh, well, that's
2: the point. It's to, yeah, he's the front and, man, like yeah. I said. It's to sell his art. and Yeah, uh, yeah but I'm the guy with the beard. So in okay. picture you see with a guy with a beard that's me.
0: That's you as well. So but the thing is there's this whole world here and I, I remember uh, I did this job once years 10 years ago and there was uh, and there was a driver on this bus and, and and I was working on this bus as well. It was I was working as a uh, a care assistant at a at a, a daycare centre for mentally and physically disabled people. And my job was to okay. be an escort on the bus, taking people. And he was talking to me about this. Um, he says, I, w- I said, What do you do? He says, I do parchment craft. And I was like, What's that? And he says, Oh, it's the art of cutting holes in paper. And what he does, he just gets a piece of parchment and a scalpel or, you know, like a craft knife and he cuts yeah. holes in paper. But the way that he cuts holding paper is so intricate and so fine that it looks like lace, but even finer than lace. In the end, it sort of it just seems to hold together just out of memory of that it knows that it's meant to be a flat piece of paper. And yeah. he travels around and he you know does workshops and he gets paid to you know go around the world and and you know share his skills and share his knowledge and stuff like that. Now I never actually knew how good he was because that that was back before the time where everything every subculture had you know a web pages on the internet which you could find stuff easily but it was amazing that I looked at we were walking down the street one day and he pointed this in this window where there's you know it was like a craft you know it was like a, uh, in a village and there was a local craft store where you know people right. in the village and he says oh that's parchment craft and I was like oh right and he says but that's really terrible and you could really see it wasn't you know all of the coals cut up they didn't line up exactly perfectly and then he showed right. me some of his stuff and it was it was like it, you know it didn't even look like paper anymore and, and it just amazed me that there was this whole craft out there that I didn't know anything about and even 10 years later i'm still finding out about these things and all of them have their own conventions and they all have their own meetings and they all have their own forums on the internet and they have their own they yep. have their own subcultures their whole worlds and it all exists there and you can be a star in that world and nobody's ever heard of you outside of it but you know just the amount of effort that it takes but yeah i think i think that's the most amazing thing about you know any of these kind of things really that there's there's space out there not everyone needs to be a rock star you can be a a rock star in the world of layered glass artistry yeah
2: i i suppose i i spent all these years on the road so um you, you know my it, it's funny cuz when i was a kid and i was fooling around with writing first point. Um, I never intended to send anything out and I went to class one day and my English teacher had taken something and sent it out and gotten it published. And she walked in and handed me a check. And, um, and so, so I (laughs) went home. (laughs) Yeah. And my father who, you know, lived through the depression and was, you know, I love the guy, but he was very focused on security and all that sort of stuff. And, and he hated the fact that I was moving in an aesthetic direction. And uh, he, you know, he was like, great, great. Okay, you know, go move up to New England and get a house with a writer's garret and become a writer. That's great. That's great. And I'm like, don't want to be a writer, dad. Want to be a rock star. <laughs> and, and, you know, you could just see the veins popping out on his head. But uh, I I really do see all these various Forms of creativity is the same thing. I really only do one thing. I express it many different ways um sometimes I write it down, sometimes I play it sometimes i you know i mean it's whatever it is, and I'm willing to be pulled in any direction that suits me and because of that, I don't want to be manipulated by the business end of things, so I never do works for hire anymore I never you know, do any of that sort of stuff. I mean, I still keep my hand in it to a degree, um, but nobody finds out about what I'm working on until it's finished. And then if that becomes a marketable product, then okay. So but be if it, not, yeah. yeah. It's not that I'm, it's just that I, as I've gotten older, I've become less and less a member of the mass market. And so my ability to market to those people, I have those skills, but it's boring.
0: No, I can totally, I can totally, I can totally see where you're coming from. Then, because for me, I have one thing that I do which brings in all of the money that I earn. Well, ninety nine percent of the money that I earn, and that is, um, and that is juggling. That's my job. That's what I do for a living, and I do pretty well out of it. Everything else, I've got no intention of charging money for, unless it'll bring in, with the same amount of ease, the same amount of money that I get for juggling, if you understand what I'm saying. Exactly. There. For me, like I do a juggling gig, and I get paid by the week, even though I'm on stage by the hour or by the minute. Yeah. So that means when I'm doing my photography, I don't want anyone to pay for my... Uh, like I don't want to work to earn money with my photography, considering the the level that I'm at with my photography is I wouldn't be paid anything for it, or it'd be paid in the hundreds of euros, which is... Um, right. you know, what I can spend on photography in a few minutes. You know, I just bought myself a new right. camera. You know? right. So it's, it's never going to pay for itself, not for a long, long time in that way. And the same with my writing. I, I, I enjoy writing. But for me, the amount of work that I'd have to put into publishing my novels would be way more times as much work as I've already put into writing my novels. And then I probably won't even sell them anyway. And the v- novels that I'm writing aren't suitable for publication. Not, I'm not saying the quality isn't good, suitable, but like nobody is going to go, oh, you're going to have this novel which is too short to be published and it's going to be this experimental thing told non-linearly and with these weird character stuff and it's, and it's not a normal novel and it's experimental. Now, like an, uh, A novelist who's been going a few years could probably get away with writing something like that and getting it published, but a first-time author, right. no chance at all. But I'm not interested in writing just a straight adventure story with you know steampunk vibe or whatever the big thing is coming out at the moment right. which would have to be to, right. like you say that public sensibility just doesn't interest me very much at all
2: well yeah that that and the fact that i'm not trying to accumulate laurels anymore you know if you you have to have laurels before you can rest upon them yeah you know what i'm saying and and so at this point I have enough behind me that I can rest upon those laurels and do what I want. And, um, anything that anyone is interested in, I do very little negotiating. I say, you know, here's my position and we're done talking Yeah. and I don't really care one way or the other, which, which is a good and bad thing. It's a double edged sword, but <laughs> it's not why I produce the work. And once I do produce it, I have very little interest in it again. Plus, everything springs from itself that's why i said everything's connected so like you make something you make something out of out of glass now before you can send it out to a gallery you got to take pictures of it so now you're taking pictures of a reflective surface so now you have to learn photography and then and then we decide to do this high def video and so now i have to learn how to make movies and the movie needs a soundtrack and so now I have to write the music and record the soundtrack. And, and so to me, those things are all connected. They're all part of the same process. And people tend to see them as many different things. But to me, it's all just what I do. And that's a very unusual. You know, if they can't really put you in a cubbyhole and market you, if today you write a piece of jazz and tomorrow you write a classical sonata, you know, the A&R guys just freak out. They don't know what to do with that.
0: So what would what would the solution to that be? Because, you know, the, the way that you are, and I guess the way that I am, which is why I find it so interesting to hear this, because this is not exactly like me, but it is what I do. You know, like if someone says, what do you do like on, you know, like your, your Twitter feed? um, What have I got here? Maybe I, I can bring up my Twitter thing here if I click on my name oh yeah here it is it says I've been juggling for 19 years making music for 16 years entertaining professionally for eight years podcasting for five years reviewing science fiction novels for three years writing for two years but now I could also because I you know in the last two years I've got more into photography now I could say oh yeah and I do photography too and it's and it's too difficult to put me into a box so the only way I could think of it is like yeah well I've been doing this longest and then I've been doing this and then I've been doing this but there's so many other hobbies which have come and gone in that time which I always try and get to the I always try and get anything I do to the point where I'm proud of it in a way that I can – I I did a whole podcast about this episode uh, number 100 of my science fiction book review podcast, and I talked a lot about my personal philosophy Mm -hmm. of why I create stuff. But one of the key things is that I always try and get my skills in any area up to the point where the work on my best day is around about equal – to one of the masters what they can do on like an average day or if they're a real master on a bad day do you understand what I'm saying there so I need to get to the point (laughs) I need to get to the point where I'm proud of myself in a way and that's what I think I'm up to now with my photography like on a good day with my photography and when I'm really you know paying attention and thinking about what I'm doing I can take photographs which are as good as some of the top photographers sort of like average work and that's right. even with you know my shit camera and stuff like that. I know that given better equipment, it would be you know I know that's a big a big thing about photography. It's all about the gear. Um, but you know I think some of the best songs that I've written are as good as some of the you know the average worst songs by the Beatles and you know these other genius songwriters which are held up as great. And that's of course me just being co- totally overconfident as well. But I think it's important to do that. But like I say, I've got so many interests and so many different th- in exactly the same way as you. I'm not. I'm, I guess our you know creative drive is. Probably Probably a little bit different, um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it's difficult to do. You know, it's difficult to categorize yourself when one day I'm just, I, you know, one day I'm making music, and then the next day I'm wanting to write a novel, the next day I'm juggling, the next day I'm taking photography. So it's interesting that uh, that you you can work in this way.
2: Yeah, and I switch gears a lot. I mean, I you know, there's instruments hanging right behind my head right now, um, and I'm sitting amidst a mass of four computers that's part of a you know a recording studio yeah. and. And so, you know, I just flit from whatever my whim is at one moment to the next. And I, I, you know, it's funny because none of this we would never have met. I keep an incredibly low profile, and I don't want anyone to know about me, but uh, you know, I I travel a lot. Uh, I'm probably not as much as you, but, you know, between 100,000 and 250,000 miles a year. And, uh, And so I would listen to a ton of audiobooks, and I discovered LibriVox, and so after I you know, consumed a few hundred hours of their stuff, you know, my wife started saying to me, well, Jesus, listen to your voice. You should be doing I know you've
0: got this. a perfect narration voice, you know, it's great.
2: Well, and and I have this whole studio and everything. And so, you know, it's a much bigger production to, to it's easy for me to write music. It's hard for me to sit down and, and do the recording and play all the instruments and, and all that sort of stuff, because then I have to write out all the parts and I get bored and I move on and write another song. But, but at any rate, uh, you know, my, my wife and as, and as this audiobook thing, so I start doing it and it starts picking up and I'm, you know, my wife was, you've got to do this for j- just this one thing, please do it under your own name. And so against my better judgment, I used my real honest to God name for these audiobooks. And Jesse contacted me over at SS, sff audio and you, we started up a conversation that way and uh, uh, but if you try to find me on the web i i am actually Yeah, it's you're so
0: low profile. I know a few people like this actually who are like that. There's a, a guy that I've done podcasts with as well. He goes by the name Thade. I know his real name now, but for uh, for the first year that I knew him, I didn't know who he was and he kept a low profile. He's a lawyer um, <laughs> and he just wanted to be A nerd on the internet and do all that kind of stuff but not under his own name which i think is very interesting
2: i uh, again the suspension of disbelief is one of the most important things to me and if you know me well enough and you read one of my books you're going to see me in there and you're going to see people i know in there and half the time you're going to be wrong and it screws up the story and story is the most important thing Uh, so I, I really don't have, I mean, you know, I stood on stages for years. I got all the gratification and the groupies and, you know, and by the way, never go home with the girl with the leopard dance skin and, and, and never lend anyone named Jane money. But, but beyond that, um, I really don't have a need for it because after a bunch of years on the road, what happens is you know, you're so tight that you squeak. Everybody knows what everybody else is going to do. And you're up there doing your thing and somebody makes a mistake and everybody stares at one another in freak out mode. Like how are we going to get to get back to the song? And through nods and winks and watching each other's hands, you, you manage to get yourself back onto the song and finish and you go on break and some drunk walks up to you and says, Oh man, that thing you did there, that was brilliant. How'd you, how'd you do that? You know? And I, you know just got to the point where it, the audience doesn't doesn't really understand i mean i I'm all for, for making them appreciative, but at some point they're just not knowledgeable enough to understand what's going is that on
0: specific is that are you talking specifically about music in that way or or is this just in general so you, you're no. like when you're doing stuff you're doing something for you and you know what you're putting into it and you're getting everything out of it you need. And you don't need validation from other people in your own name.
2: Yeah, I, I have zero guile. I'm not interested in validation. I just don't care. And I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And if the result of doing that ends up as product, then fine. But, you know, I do this stuff because it's, it's like a bodily function to me. It's not like I can stop doing it. It's not like I can, you know, just like I could stop breathing. It's how I get through the day is trying to figure out the universe and and echo it back trying to figure out the narrative of the universe and the narrative of the universe includes all the various medias that i work in so it's not strange to me to to cross all those borders what people think of as borders to me it's all the same quantum field Uh, there's no there's no space between them there's there's you know you have whatever 26 letters in the alphabet and 11 notes in the in the chromatic scale and and you know, those are your raw building blocks, and that's what you do. And, uh, you know, it's hard for me. I mean, one of the reasons I, I don't use my real name for virtually everything I do is because I don't want to have to explain this. I don't want to, you know, look like the person who is some sort of egotistical monster who, you know, wrote, produced, direct, and starred in the movie, and wrote the soundtrack, and da 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 And uh, it's too easy to misunderstand. So, you know, I just, over the years, I evolved. I'm probably a few more decades along than you are. So you you, you might end up where I am at some point.
0: It, the thing is, for me, it's going to be very difficult because I've started off on the uh, – like, you started off on stage and touring around in, in a band and things like that. For me, I've started off my uh, career, of course, as a juggler on stage and things. But, like, now I'm the complete opposite right. of you um, in most ways there. Like, because I have a blog and generally all of my creative output – I made I put together this blog – just to keep track of what I do like for me to keep track of what I do because I put out so much stuff like every month I'll be writing loads I'll be taking lots of photographs I'll be you know making music and um, and making videos and all these different kind of stuff and for me I I put everything out online under my own name there is I don't think there's any forum uh, or anything at all which I don't just go by my name Luke Burridge except like on Skype which is Luke dot Burridge but it's only because I once forgot the password for Luke Burridge (laughs) without the dot in it and did it but otherwise everything is that everything is under my own name and i understand i understand exactly what you mean because sometimes i'm like oh man should i share this or should i not or should i but i i guess i don't have a problem with with people thinking that i'm egotistical maybe Maybe I'm maybe well, I am either yeah, I mean I'm doing I, I, this podcast is really me being egotistical because no. so I want to talk to lots of people about lots of different things that I'm interested in and it might seem like oh Luke thinks he's an expert at everything but I'm not I don't think I'm an expert at everything but it's these conversations I like having conversations about everything and I just enjoy participating in everything
2: Right well I, I guess what it is is that I I think that you and I are both generalists which is a term that people don't really bandy about much that everybody is since henry ford is into specialists and specialists don't know how to organize and implement the work of the other specialists and so as a generalist which seems to me to be more important than being a specialist because that's the guy that assembles all the pieces yeah (laughs) okay and so uh, while i certainly know plenty about you know music theory and etymology and you know various things that i do science all that sort of stuff i don't have an identity that i can point to and actually feel comfortable about uh, what an
0: artistic uh, identity uh, you mean or uh, a creative identity what do you mean that you don't
2: know uh, uh, as a uh, no essentially as a as a creature as an ent- you know as an entity that has to be viewed by other entities i don't ah,
0: you don't have a label that you feel comfortable with you mean
2: i don't think i have a label period right and it's very it's very confusing to to other people no
0: i, I do get what you mean the thing is i, I this is really strange because i don't think i've ever thought about it in that way i've always just thought of myself as a as an artist as a as a creator like as someone who's creative um yeah and i just i just look at myself like that like you say there's all these boxes like I say you know juggling for this long entertaining for this long pot you know that kind of stuff but for me it, it the, the the bound i do see boundaries between what i do for example I, I made this year i made a list of 50 things um 50 goals and plans for the end of the year and i did make it i split it up into sections <laughs> and in photography photography was just like i have no goals for photography except i'm probably going to buy some a new camera bag the only thing that i want to do is just hang out and get better you know at photography just right. see what happens and yeah. uh, and i find actually that's really what I want to do with more of my hobbies, because I don't want to be, have like a goal to do this or a goal to do that. But the generalist kind of thing that's really resonating with me, because I, I, it, you know, people say, oh, he's a renaissance man or something like that. And loads of people say, is there anything you can't do? And I'm never really comfortable in saying, yeah, I can't do this and I can't do that. You know, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really good at painting. Um, cooking isn't a strong... You know, but it, it sounds a bit strange when people say, is there anything you can't do? Whereas I think it's like it's not anything I can't do. It's there's nothing I won't try, you know. Right. Or there's nothing that interests right. me which I won't put my work out there just because people, you know, aren't expecting it from me because they only. I mean, now it's really weird that like I for for years I've been known as a juggler, and now this year I've like for the juggling magazines. I because I've been in more in in doing photography. You know, I've had two covers of juggling magazines, and uh, you know, people are. Uh, you know, people are all the time asking me for the photo- photos that I've taken in shows and at juggling conventions. And I've not had any requests for those same magazines for workshops, stuff that I'm writing about, <laughs> which I used to be. The People are yeah. asking me, oh, yeah. can you do a review of this or can you write about this or do this kind of stuff? And now no, nobody... Just, it's, it's not like they don't care anymore. Well, maybe they don't care. They just haven't asked at all. They're like saying, oh, have you got photos of this or can we use this photo? and so, And that for me is a real validation. Yeah. That... I'm not even putting myself out there as a photographer. Well, I am, like I say, because I've got a blog and I put lots of photos on Facebook and things. But really, it's... I don't even... I'm not sure what I'm trying to say here, but it's the generalist kind of thing like oh yeah renaissance man that's what my point is like when you go back to i've just been to rome and there's lots right. of stuff by lots of these different artists and you know uh, Raphael did this and you know da vinci did this and michelangelo right. did this and michelangelo he did statues he did painting and leonardo um da vinci he did you know that and you know a thousand other things as well and i'm not saying that you know i'm not i don't want to compare myself to these you know great renaissance artists except for the generalist kind of thing nobody looks at leonardo and say oh he was a generalist they all look at him and go he was a generalist well they don't even use right. the word generalist but you know there's a reason why they call him a renaissance man Or oh, you know that whole you know person who puts their hand to everything and can do anything uh it's because it is an admirable quality as long as you're good at it i guess maybe i don't know
2: yeah uh, yeah i i think there are good examples there are few and far between but there are you know uh, do you know who our buckminster fuller is yes okay that to me is the quintessential generalist Right. Okay, he, he didn't care where he went or what he did he had a goal and the tools and the media were unimportant to him Yeah.
0: the thing is i know him and i know some of what he's done but i don't i guess i just don't know his full story enough to be able to uh, to do that he was he was like a, an architect uh you know an engineer uh, designer
2: he's, he he's he's responsible for the geodesic Dome.
0: dude that's how i that's for... where i know him from and and also designing aircraft in the second world War. the wellington bomber was his design as well he did
2: a lot i mean he built a fog shower head that used one quart of water an hour um you know the guy was just all over the place and he uh, has a, a form of mathematics called synergistics um where he tries to uh well i, I guess he, he actually tried to Explain this in a much more mass mind way with a book called I seem to be a verb, which is where he's, he's saying he's not an action. I mean, he's an action, not an object, yeah. you know. Um, but at one point um, I was oh, I was at Brown University. They were having an 80th birthday party for him. And he told this story um, that when he was a kid, he uh, went to school. And well, actually, the first part of the story is he's a kid. He has um, a degenerative eye problem and it doesn't get diagnosed until he's five years old. And they give him these Coke bottle glasses to, to, to wear. But for the first five years of his life, everything was fuzzy and connected to everything else. And so he kept that through the rest of his life. And so he goes to school and um, the teacher gives the kids peas and toothpicks and tells him to build things out of them, sort of like a makeshift director set. And she's trying to force everybody to make squares out of the, uh, the peas and, you know, to build houses, in other words, to make, to make rectangles. And he realizes that the only reason the rectangle doesn't fall apart because of forces from either side of it is that because she's drawn it on the blackboard. But if you actually make it, it's easy to break. So he decides a triangle is a much simpler Shape to work with, and that's where the geodesic, you know, process was born. Um, if you could, if you can at some point, check out his Dymaxian map of the world.
0: Oh, yeah, is this this is the one where all of the ocean is always connected, isn't it? And then the, yeah, uh, and then you can flip it around, and then all of the the land is connected so you can arrange the right. land on the la- on the map so it, it all joins up and it looks like it's all one everything is connected together and the ocean is just this little bit in between it's an right. amazing flipped view of the world which you'd never really look at the world in that way in that projection
2: well and you can fold it up into a globe too oh, yeah, and yeah. when you do that it ends up as one of the perfect solids of pythagoras either an iconohedron or a dodecahedron i can't remember i'd have to go look yeah um, but but, but anyway, that that approach that that's a generalist's approach, and I think that you've got you've got wide ranging generalists by Buckminster Fuller, and then you've got generalists working in a specific medium, um, Frank Zappa, Miles Davis. Um, these people, you know, if you're a generalist and you work in one medium, you transcend the medium, and you end up creating something that is so lasting that um, you're no longer, you know, I mean, Miles Davis is an attitude. He's not, I I don't even know how to describe it. Um, If you look at the whole, you know, width and breadth of his career, starting out with Gil Evans and ending up playing hip hop and all of it, he transcended and it didn't matter to him how much of him was in it. Uh, to the point where he could play with John Coltrane and not lose his mind, because Coltrane would take these, you know, 45-minute solos and stuff like that. Um, But, you know, and the same thing with Zappa. So, you've got generalists within the specialists category, and then you've got generalists outside it. Uh, But there's plenty of them out there to, to look at and figure out how they did what they did and Set it up so that you yourself can do that. Um, I
0: mean, it's not for everyone. I mean, I guess lots of people wouldn't be interested in doing this kind of thing. They'll have their one creative outlet. Say they play the guitar, and that's what they do. And they don't yeah. they don't feel the need to to spread out. I'm not saying the thing is. That's why I find you know your story interesting and and your attitudes and the way that you look at yourself interesting uh, because. I, you know, I see myself in you as someone who is happy to try and be creative and just, you know, go where anyone, anything takes me in that way. But I don't think everyone, I don't think that's suited for everyone. I think some people are just musicians and they just want to be a, you know, they just want to play the guitar and that's what they want right. to do, you know. And right, I don't see anything right. wrong with that. I'm just saying it, it's interesting. To, nor do I. To, yeah.
2: Yeah. I, you know, art for art's sake, money for God's sake. So, you know, I mean, you've got to you got to feed the bulldog, you got to eat, you got to do certain things. But it's true that probably neither one of us will understand any of the many things we do to the depth that a specialist would who spent his whole life focusing on that one thing. Uh, but I think that's a fair trade-off.
0: Well, I do. I think there is an area that I do understand that, but that's juggling, and that's what I do for a living. So I should, <laughs> you know, I should be at that level, or yeah, you know, I'd like to think I'm at that level anyway. I know there's other people ahead of me, but I think in the in the area of juggling, I am uh, an expert at, at, at you know at big parts of it anyway. But then yeah. again, you can you can be a generalist in just in the world of juggling as well. There's this one guy called Wes Peden who is by far one of the best technical jugglers in the world. He's also by far one of the most Creative jugglers in the world, and by far you know one of the best or mo- most interesting performing jugglers in the world and uh, and I run this uh, this uh, this no it's not a contest it's just a, a- like a vote a voted list of the top 40 most popular jugglers in the world okay uh, you know just by just by votes and i've done this since i think 2003 was the last year that i've done it and west peden has won this four times in the row easily getting twice as many votes as the next two people in the list combined no no that no, is actually not that far ahead but for like the last three or four years he has just been storming it you know because he he has transcended all of these specific styles. It's like, oh, I like this kind of juggling because it's, you know, I like technical juggling. Oh, I like this. I like more artistic juggling. I like more, you know, I like... And also he's just really, really good at making videos so he can present it really well as well. And that's the thing that really, it's a really big thing. There's not many people who can just say, oh, I've got a new video out, juggling video out. Give me $10 to watch it and right. you know hundreds of people does and that's the way he's putting himself through circus school at the moment or you know one of the ways he's putting himself through circus school is that but it, it does make you know it's noticeable like i'm never going to come anywhere near west peden with my juggling but um but then again he's he's a generalist in the specific area of juggling and juggling is one area that i think i'm i'm quite specific in you know and and
2: uh, I, I but that i've seen film of you and i would agree but that i think that generalism probably shows in your act
0: oh yeah definitely you know i've i mix, I mix uh, you know comedy and um and right. spoken word stuff and just in one act i do there's video projection there's juggling there's spoken word there's music that i've written and recorded myself you know the video i made myself the right. entire setup you know so i i actually do use this to my advantage in my juggling this sort of generalist attitude or generalist outlook which, right uh, is right quite and
2: you, you probably can't help it can you
0: no, I mean it would. Right. You know, I, I need to do that. Right. I mean, if I just if I just did boring juggling, no, I can't call it boring juggling. But you know, sometimes I do just get up and go. Right. I'm just going to do some technical juggling. This is what I can do. I hope you enjoy it. But most of the time, I want to, you know, I, I'm wanting to not teach the audience anything, but you know, just take them in a little bit of a different direction and say, actually, juggling can be this, or juggling can be that. Right. You know? Right. And that's why when I put together a new act with me and my uh, girlfriend, my ex-girlfriend, um, it included. Uh, you know, juggling, but also performance painting and character work and stuff like that in a way that hasn't been done before with juggling. Because, you know, it's, it's an, for me, it's an easy route to interesting routines, which don't require five minutes worth of all new juggling tricks. There can be a, a few new juggling tricks in there, but I can mix in this other stuff. But I see you, but you don't do that at all. You go, right, uh, this is my job, which I earn my money from, but then over here, this is my glass, and people know me just for the glass, but then they don't know I'm also a musician, and they don't know I'm also an author, published author, and things like that. You try and keep these separate, though.
2: Um, only because it, it makes cocktail parties easier. Um, <laughs> I, you know, it's, I, I hate being the, the center of attention unless it's my decision to be such. And so I would much rather have a fragmented personality that people only know parts of. Um, but I, but I also think that we have a commonality in the, the, you know, I'm I'm very focused on folklore mythology, you know. Uh, to, well, I probably worked my way through every sacred text on the planet that I know of, and and all that sort of stuff. And and to me, that is proto-story. Um, it's the stuff you make it out of. And when I think about performance, the proto, you know, material of performance is really like the busker's art and juggling comes from that. So I I think that in terms of, of looking at it from its beginning and trying to stretch the boundaries of it and, and that sort of thing, uh, we probably have very similar approaches to to how we're doing what we do
0: yeah i guess maybe i'm uh, i am misstated it it's like you you're still mixing it all together but like the individual parts of it are, you know like in just in the presentation i kept separate whereas i'm like yep everything's here in yeah, this one place exactly in this exactly. one package on stage at this time or on my blog at this time or something you know? there was
2: a see what happened to me is it, what, what probably happened to me that didn't happen to you is that in the 70s i got screwed by a record company and ended up horrifically in debt. Um they they pushed recording fees off on me and all this other stuff and 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 so uh, that was what caused me to go on the road in the first place. Um I was perfectly happy being a studio musician and you know a, some stupid girl that learned three chords on the guitar and her daddy was rich would hire this studio time and we'd just hang out and you know she'd say make this sound good and it would be you know something ridiculous and so we'd make it sound good and we'd get paid scale which back then was like 300 bucks an hour Um, And so it was well worth doing, Um, but I could make more uh, money on the road if I killed myself. And for those (laughs) seven or eight years, I would do 180 gigs in a row and then three night, three months of composition, three months in the studio and back out for six more months on the road. And I did that. What band
0: were you in? Or don't you want to say?
2: I don't want to say. Uh, Okay. because it was it was using another name.
0: Uh, Okay. Uh, Oh, even then, even then it was another name.
2: Oh, from day one, from the day that my English teacher walked up and handed me uh, that thing she on the on the podcast we were talking about earlier, I told you I use the real names of of authors who used pseudonyms?
0: Yeah, I don't think that actually went into the podcast that we recorded the other day. But yeah, you said that you yeah and authors who use pseudonyms you use their real names as your pseudonym. Yeah,
2: right. And she set that in motion. She's the one who picked uh, uh, a pseudonym. So th- for that,
0: that wasn't even your idea.
2: No, no, no. She came in and she said, you know, here's your here's your pen name and here's your check. And um, it was amazing as as you know to just, I mean.
0: Well, that's so amazing how much influence a one person can have at you like even because she did this without your knowledge and then was like oh yeah this is your pseudonym and then from then on you've just used that as a model as as your creative output right and you didn't even think about that before then
2: no she came to me up front i still i still wanted to be a rock star she came to me up front and she said you've got to send this stuff out this is this is you know, stuff that other people should read. And I'm like, eh, no. You know, the last thing I want to be known is that, you know, back then there was a, there's a poet named Rod McEwen and he's a really bad musician and a really bad poet. And I was thinking the last thing I want to do is be that, you know, that musician who tried to be a writer or that writer who tried to be a musician. And that's what drove me to compartmentalize all these various activities and and keep them separate with different names and, and all that sort of stuff. If well, you... I
0: guess I'm just I'm just happy to be average at everything. You know, like yeah. I said before, <laughs> I, I I don't mind being one guy because I'm just happy to be like average across the board. It's I'm and you know so totally happy with that because I'm doing it for me anyway.
2: Yeah, and there's also a lot. I mean, the the greatest benefit I get out of it is the is the stealth aspect of it. When I'm talking to you and Jesse and those guys, it's pretty you know it's pretty inclusive in terms of all the stuff that i do but in my day-to-day life you know the people i come in contact with have no idea what my skills are or what my experiences are or anything like that and that actually gives me a leg up because they assume that yeah uh, you know they assume i'm some guy who drinks beer and watches tv and you know i hardly ever do either of those things although i like scotch and cigars but that's a separate story uh Mm -hmm. but but uh you know it it's given me a tremendous leg up and the ability to essentially write my own ticket and the more the more secretive i've been the the easier it's been for me to write my own ticket in life and so i see no no sense in changing that now
0: no 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 reason at all no i don't think so um i just had a thought in mind and it's just completely escaped me but it'll come back in a second okay um You keep talking. No, no, wait a second. I think I have a good question. Yeah, right at the very beginning of this podcast, you talked about elevating glasswork from a craft to an art. So the way that I look at art is i mean i actually mentioned this on another one of these episodes i don't really i'm not really interested about the question what is art or trying to say this is art or this isn't art for me if you just do it for yourself it can be a hobby you know it's no problem as well and generally when i'm consuming anything or when i'm producing anything you know that i want to be i want it to be artistic all i care about is actually touching someone on an emotional or intellectual level and that's really all I care about. But, you know, it's always fun to discuss this. So just go into a little bit more detail about the difference between craft and art and what your definition is there. Well, uh, you
2: know, we talked about it in glass. We could talk about it in music too. Um, I, studied music from a very early age and and uh, you know have a lot of experience in it and and you start out you know basically playing three chords G C and D and you work your way up and eventually you learn all the ins and outs and and you become quote an artist unquote which means you can write out all the parts for a fifty piece orchestra and first, second and third flutes and all that sort of stuff. And so you conceive of the, the whole wave all as one object and you can break it up into little pieces. And as you get deeper and deeper into it, you pop out the other side and you end up writing variations on a theme. Yeah, which GC&D. is playing the first three chords you ever learned how to play. You know, like now I, I'm in a couple of different bands, um and one of them kind of sort of locally popular we play the local indian casino and that sort of thing and when we do i am so focused on giving the listeners uh, a, a good time not not blinding them with my artistry not you know just uh, uh, there's so many musicians out there who think they're getting paid by the note And so they'll try to put, you know, 56 notes into four bars when six notes would have done just as well. And I'm, and I'm very focused on giving the people those six notes. So when I actually do decide to perform, I'm completely focused on entertainment and not on the artistry. I care very little about that. I want to make them laugh. I want to see their feet tapping and, uh, you know
0: yeah there's a, a great quote i can't remember where the quote comes from it says there's a difference between you know rock and roll and jazz is that jazz is uh, no what is it rock and roll is three chords to a thousand people and jazz is a thousand chords to three people uh, for an audience of three people or something like that and i often think i often think that the entertainment factor well, is easier when you strip yeah. away a lot of the technical artistry let me put it that way
2: yeah i i think the i mean i'm i'm very, very into jazz. So um, I have a slightly different viewpoint on it. But um...
0: No, I'm not. Yeah, I I know that you're coming from from a different way. But, you know, jazz does take that sort of more, um, you know, more, I wouldn't say serious listener, but, you know, it, it takes a little bit more, effort, you know, a little bit more preparation, a little bit more experience on the part of the listener to to enjoy it in a way.
2: It depends. I mean, that's that you're thinking about bebop when Charlie Parker and and Dizzy Gillespie and those guys did their thing. Think about Louis Armstrong. Think about the no, big no, band. No, no, no. Yeah,
0: that's what. But I'm saying about the idea of playing this many notes when this many right. will do is what I'm saying. You know, right. it is. Right. I'm saying it is that that kind of jazz is is you know I you know I love jazz. You know, I perform to it in my show and things. Um, it's know, yeah, is you know, big band is you know one of my favorite music. I mean, I don't listen to it that much because it's it's not the kind of thing that I just want to have on in the background sometimes. But right. no, I, right. I I really enjoy it. But the point is that sometimes the the uh, like for example, I perform to Benny Goodman's Sing 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 and I really enjoy mm-hmm. it. I mean there's there's, there's a lot of a lot in there but the the parts which really stand out is where everything cuts out and it's just the drummer going yep. and that's the most famous part of that song and it's probably why it's one of the most famous you know big band arrangements is because everything cuts out and then you just have you know the one um, one clarinet going right and it's that which suddenly you know like you say that's when it's when it's come out the other side and suddenly you've taken you've you've you have a full band and suddenly you just strip everything away and you've got the drums and a single clarinet and that's suddenly where the the artistry you know that's suddenly where it becomes in, an art again i think
2: yeah but this is a good example because goodman's big band unit that was Gene Krupa on drums that you're listening to there and Gene Krupa was considered the best drummer in the world until Buddy Rich came along and you know Buddy Rich just lived it I mean he's another one of these guys who sort of transcended the whole the whole thing I don't know and, and there's a famous album I think it's called Drum Summit or something like that I can't remember where it is where uh, they're actually having a you know what a cutting contest is uh You know, musicians have these things called cutting contests. It started back uh, Fats Waller, that sort of thing. And you would try to outdo one another as you play variations on this theme and and try to trade uh, musical insults back and forth, basically. And they put these two guys together on this album thinking that it would be the two greatest drummers in the world and all Buddy Rich did was make Gene Krupa look awful because Gene Krupa was a specialist and buddy rich was a generalist yeah and so if you put those things next to one another you know it keeps coming back to that you see it when it's there you you know that person who can do that and you know i i just have a great amount of appreciation for that that sort of thing to you know i i look for specialists because i'm in a world full of generalists i mean i look for generalists because i'm in a world full of specialists and specialists are a dime a dozen Um, so, you know, I, it's the only difference between us is that you're, you don't have a problem with the rest of the world rooting around in your underwear drawer. And I, you know, I think it screws up the suspension of disbelief between the different things. Now you're, you're still on the stage and I'm, I'm not. So you've got an act and you think that way, you know, I'm starting to wind down. I'm starting to think about how I'm going to play out the end game here and what I want to get done in the time I have left. And I, you know, I just don't need the gratification anymore. Yeah.
0: And I, you don't need the hassle either.
2: Right. It's a tremendous amount of hassle.
0: No, I think, that, I think that's a good way to look at it. I mean, you've almost sort of set me a challenge now in a way that I want to suddenly over the next three years, I want to take up a new skill do it with either no sharing to so other people, or if I do, I'll do it online under a different name or do everything yeah. under a different name. And then, you know, just always have that in my in my back pocket to, so, like you say, bring out a party where everyone's always sick of me, you know, being there, right. playing playing the guitar and right. taking photographs and, you know... Although no! I don't do that. Actually, it's quite strange that you say that. It gives you a leg up when people don't know that you what what you can do. And uh, I I do find that when when people sort of like you know if I meet a group of people for the first time like say on a cruise ship I'm just the juggler, right? And it's interesting. Right. And then and then I'll take some photos and put them on Facebook, and they're like, "Wow, these are really good," you know. And and then I don't even don't mention about all the other stuff that I can do. And it's it's always quite funny to let people find all that stuff online and come back and say, oh, I like your music, but, you know, juggling, yeah, much better. And it's, yeah. just, it's just one of those weird things. It's, it's not like a game, but I do understand how it, it can, you know, it can put you in an advantage if people don't know all that about you. So maybe I should stop telling people to go to my blog. Well, no, it, and, uh, it works both
2: ways, too, because, for example, um, there's plenty of people who you know know me in a social setting and say you just sit there and chat pleasantly and then all of a sudden i saw you on stage screaming at the top of your lungs and just had no idea that the the guy i saw sitting on the sofa at the wine party last weekend is the guy who's now in front of me you know blowing me out the back wall of the of the room so um you know it, it's all about contrasts and you want to present those contrasts in as contrasting away as you possibly can. And that's what gives you the ability to write your own ticket with, with you know, I mean...
0: Maybe maybe I'll see the, the act that I'm working on at the moment includes me singing on stage with a video playing and I'm juggling at the same time. So we'll, uh, and with music that, I've re- you know, I'm doing another multimedia. We'll see how it goes.
2: <laughs> oh, they, 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 uh, yeah, I don't mean it. I'm just saying there's, you can use it to your advantage at both ends of the spectrum. Oh,
0: uh, yeah, 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 of course. Um, yeah, I use, it, I use it to my advantage of, of, in a way I can bring an audience from one to another. You know, like if I was just me putting music up online, my my songs up on YouTube or something like that, I'd probably get maybe like five or six people looking at it. But because I'm also a juggler and people subscribe to my... I've got like a thousand people subscribe to my YouTube account who are interested in my juggling. It means that like maybe three or four hundred of them would be interested enough to actually watch one of my videos, my music videos, um, which probably wouldn't... uh, That probably wouldn't happen anyway. So I, I guess I can leverage different audiences or different interests like for my science fiction book review podcast i just check the latest download figures there's like 4000 people downloaded the last episode and yeah. um again i'm not doing it i mean if even if only 100 people were listening maybe well maybe 100 may, you know as long as there's a few hundred people listening I, I don't mind you know i'd i'd have carried on anyway but that kind yeah. of uh, that kind of thing and i you know when i released this podcast i mean the people listening now to this that i've already released it but they probably quite a few of them would have come over from knowing me from juggling or knowing right. me from writing or knowing me from you know doing book reviews and and other things like that so hopefully it'll all hopefully it'll all come together
2: i do miss the, the cross-pollinization that you're talking about i, yeah. I do that's well this is a cross-pollinization
0: like. of audience as well it always amazes me when a juggler says oh yeah i listened to your science fiction book review podcast and it's always funny in the other way it's like oh yeah i got into juggling because you're always talking about juggling on the podcast yeah and now i go to juggling conventions <laughs> and you know and, and, it, and it works in different ways in you know that that kind Kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, Greg, I think that's uh, anything else that you want to say. I mean, this has been quite. A, it's been quite fun because we haven't really got into any specifics about anything. we've been too generalist talking in quite a general way. There you go. Maybe, maybe for season two, if there is a season two, I can get you back on and talk a little bit more specifically about you know. A sp- Specific topic, but maybe maybe that's not what I need to do. Maybe I need to get you back on, and we can talk a bit more general about other topics because we could carry on. But I think it's about an hour that we've gone now. So uh, thanks a lot for this. No problem. Anything else you want to say though, just before we finish?
2: Not really. Thanks for listening, whoever's out there. And yeah,
0: I just don't know who's going to be listening. Hopefully, lots of people who are interested in general stuff. Maybe we'll get some generalists listening. Yeah, I've never. I really like this idea because I've never really thought of myself as a generalist. I just thought, like I say, I've always thought of myself as just a creative kind of person who is a little bit schizophrenic but no i'm not schizophrenic i'm just a generalist right
2: exactly and and it's the society doesn't know how to deal with you that's if they can't if they can't figure out how to put you know dancing toilet paper on halfway through your act then they don't know what to do with you so uh, which i guess that's a bad illusion that was rod serling when he was doing yeah, Twilight Zone. I had Zone. no idea what okay, you're talking okay. about
0: now. I'm like, wait a second, am I meant to be getting this? Are you referencing some of what we've talked about in this conversation? Because no, no. if so, I've no Rod idea. Rod Serling,
2: when he was doing Playhouse 90 before Twilight Zone, he, he wrote a lot of really famous plays. Um, and, uh, you know, he was always arguing with the network because he'd, he'd get people into an emotional spot that took him a half an hour to get there. And then dancing toilet paper would come out. And, you know, <laughs> fool around for three minutes and then they'd have to go back and get back into that groove again. And he, he didn't have the time to put them back in the groove, which is what got him pissed off at the ninety minute running way of Playhouse 90 and and made him start. Yeah, to... and that's
0: why the Twilight Zone just yep. you didn't know how long it was going to last. That was the whole point of it. It's like yeah. is it going to end now? No. Is it going to end now? No. You're never sure when it was going to end.
2: Yeah, and you know he had it's one It's a
0: genius move, but that's yeah. quite good.
2: Yeah, and well, he had one hook. I mean when you if you Wherever a writer for his magazine, um, he had one, one sentence of instruction to all writers, and it was ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances. And that was, and that that was it. That yeah. was it. That's all he wanted. You know, he's another sort of generalist. I don't know if I'd hold him up as in the top 10, but, you know, he tried to go a lot of different places. And uh, there's a lot of people that you don't even realize, you know, Jack Webb, Dragnet, fame, just the facts, ma'am. Um, don't he, know him. He was a, oh, you, you don't know Dragnet? Um, uh,
0: it was Maybe a, that's too American. It was a, yeah, it
2: was a cop show that was on, um, and he was a very, uh, he hardly acted at all. Everything was very monotone. Um, he was Sergeant Joe Friday, but he was also this tremendous fan and aficionado of jazz, and you wouldn't know it to look at him. Um, yeah, but if you watch the old episodes of the stuff he did, you'll see all these famous jazz guys he gave them work you know you're the criminal you're the you're the witness we <laughs> interview you're the and oh, that's great yeah yeah and and so there are people out there doing the generalist thing
0: yes yeah i know like guys like steve martin as well i know who's doing yeah. comedy and movies and then also a, a writer and uh, a magician as well you know he's he's because right. yeah. he was he was he was a writer for tv shows before he was big himself you know and then he's uh
2: right he started exhausted. on the Smothers Brothers. Right. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, also, you know, yeah, definitely a generalist. His books are well worth reading. And I don't mean the, yeah. the comedy ones. I mean he actually writes plays and, you know, does all that sort of stuff.
0: Well, so they're out there. I think they just uh, yeah, we just need to to appreciate them. Anyway, I've just had an idea. Next time when you come back on, we'll talk about finding time to do different stuff and and how to organize time. It'll be a little bit more specific maybe. We'll see how it goes. So be Anyway, it. thanks a lot. Anytime. Greg, Marguerite, and I was going to say I'll put all the links in the show notes, but it'll be very difficult for you because it'll be your LibriVox page and a page about glass and then the rest of things. We'll just have to take your word for it that you are a published author and you were a touring musician and uh, all of these other lifelong projects that you've had. We'll, well just take your word for it.
2: The, the beauty of it is I don't care if you take my word for it or not. I know. I was just
0: joking. Anyway. <laughs> so, anyway, thanks a lot for doing this. And, thanks, uh, Luke, for
2: asking me. And Anytime yeah, um, you want to, let me know and we'll do it again.
0: Okay, let me press stop.
2: All right.